Open your Bibles with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Looking again uh, this morning at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and uh, some of the immediate effects of that resurrection. Uh, I want to kind of gear our minds toward uh, this this fact that when we start seeing these appearances of Jesus to these different people after his resurrection, uh, we're reminded that we are reminded of God's grace for all kinds of people. If we were going to put together a group of folks to carry on our life's mission, certainly we would be very selective. We would weigh factors such as intelligence, uh, gender, experience, articulation, prominence, influence. All of these things would be desired qualifications. But that wasn't the case with Jesus. Throughout his life, he called many outcasts of society to follow him. If you look at the band of followers immediately after his death and resurrection, you're certainly not looking at the who's who of first century Palestine. You'll see fishermen who were not highly regarded in society. You'll see religious zealots. You'll see uh, governmental sellouts. You'll see just a, a weird group, a weird mix of people. And for the most part, really just a bunch of no-name folks. Uh, at times, however, influential, respected, even wealthy people would come to Jesus, and it seemed as if they wanted to follow him. But most often, Jesus would send them away empty because they were just too full of themselves to actually be devoted to Christ. God's grace is for all kinds of people, except for those people who really see no need for this grace. In these post-resurrection appearances, we see this kind of grace work by Jesus. We see five appearances in in one day, the first day after res- the first day of resurrection. He's going to appear to Mary. He appears to Mary Magdalene to some other women, to two folks on the road, to Emmaus, to Simon Peter individually, and then to the ten disciples. Five more appearances are spread out over 40 days. And in each of these appearances, what we'll see is God God is providentially opening the eyes of so many of his followers, some of whom actually did not even believe in him yet. We saw John's comment about himself when he looked inside the tomb and he saw the grave clothes there. He saw and believed. Now, remember, when John records this resurrection account, he doesn't include a detailed play-by-play, moment-by-moment recounting of the actual event. He doesn't say, at this point, the stone rolled away, and this is how it was rolled away, and then Jesus came back to life, and this is how he came back to life. He just approaches the event as a narrative. He just tells the story of what happened in terms of he wasn't there anymore. And after hearing the news from Mary, remember Mary goes and tells Peter and John that the tomb was empty, he runs to the tomb, he sees the linen cloth, he sees the head wrap neatly folded in our text from last week, we saw that, and he believed. And if you read the account, it's incredibly simple. It's incredibly simple. It's almost frustratingly simple. Because our minds are geared toward logic and ration and thinking and reason, and we're just asking for more, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John just records the event. Such is the nature of true belief. True belief in Christ is incredibly simple. We do a fantastic job of complicating this Christ journey, this Christianity that the Bible presents as simple. 
And as for validation for the actual resurrection, John gives us eyewitnesses to prove that Jesus actually did come back to life. Jesus appears to several people that that he loved, and John records Jesus appearing to these particular people and speaking in particular ways and giving to some of them particular instruction. And in all of these appearances, we're reminded that God's grace is for all kinds of people. So let's read our text. We'll start in verse 11 of John chapter 20 and read through verse 18. Uh, Looking at this appearance of Jesus to this lady named Mary Magdalene. John chapter 20 and verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention toward the word, by the Holy Spirit, teach us. Lord, help us to see the truth of this event in the life of the Lord Jesus and the life of Mary Magdalene and how this event makes sense for our lives. Lord, thank you that as we'll see walking through this passage and the passage next week and the passage the week after, Lord, your grace truly is for all kinds of people. We pray it in Jesus' good name. Amen. So one thing we see in this text, and this kind of sets the stage for where we're going with with the the passage is the resurrection reminds us that God's grace is for all kinds of people. Think of who Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. It seems that if Jesus wants to make the biggest splash of this event, he's going to go to the most culturally important, most prominent people, right? Surely he's going to go to, he's going to first go to his two primary lead disciples, Peter and John, who we looked at last week, or, or he's going to go to James, the, the brother of John, or even better, go to Pilate. Go to Pilate, the Roman, uh, the Roman leader who sanctioned his death, or go to Caiaphas, who was the functional high priest, or go to Annas, who was the, who was the Jewish high priest that year, and say, hey, remember what y'all did? Look now. Right? Make a big splash of this thing. Let's, let's explode this story. But, Jesus doesn't go to these people. The first person he speaks to is this lady, Mary Magdalene. We think, why didn't you go to John first? John he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loves all throughout his gospel account. John is, the, as far as we know, one of the only disciples, if not the only disciple, who stood by Jesus through the trial and through the crucifixion. In fact, on the cross, remember, John was the one that Jesus entrusted his mother to. He said, woman, behold your sons, and you behold your mother. Or go to Peter. Peter's going to end up being the most prominent figure in the onset of the New Testament church as it forms in Jerusalem. But the first person he appears to and speaks to is this lady, Mary Magdalene. Church, we have to remember, God's grace is for all kinds of people. 
In this burial account, we also saw two respected religious leaders, right? The two guys who came to ask for the body of Jesus, Joseph and Nicodemus. These guys would have had a good reputation among the Jews. And so go to them. But instead, here again, Jesus goes to Mary Magdalene. He doesn't even go to his own mother. He doesn't even appear first to his own mother. He appears to this woman. And this woman is not just any woman. We know just a little bit of Mary's past, not a lot. There's not a a long discourse in any of the gospel accounts that, that refer to Mary's past. The one thing that we do know about her past is that when Jesus encountered her, she was possessed by demons. So that's at least intriguing as we consider this lady Mary Magdalene who is here at the tomb of Jesus. The only reference to her before these accounts is in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, where Luke records, Soon after he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Now we don't know, did she really have seven demons, or was it kind of like the demon-possessed man... Our name is Legion because we are many. Whatever it was, she was under demonic control. And so Jesus frees her from this control. So we don't know. That there's, there's opinion that she was a prostitute before this. There's no validation in Scripture or even in history of that account. Possible, but not certain. But to be possessed by demons, she had to have at least some sort of a shady background. right? A, a distinct propensity towards sin to be inhabited by seven demons for from which Jesus set her free. And so the lady has a, at least a questionable, questionable background, and this is the first person that Jesus appears to and speaks to. Also, culturally, there's an issue here because in, that, in the culture of that day, women were of less importance than men. Women could not give testimony in a court of law because their testimony was not considered as weighty as a man's. And so Jesus here appears to a woman, and not just any woman, but a woman with a questionable background. And Let's be clear here. This is not the first time Jesus has done something similar to this. I remember the first person that he declared himself to actually be the Messiah to in John chapter 4 was the woman at the well. Right? The, the, the Samaritan woman at the well that Jesus engages in this conversation with and exposes her, her sexual promiscuity and the fact that you've had several husbands and actually the guy you're living with now is not your husband. And so then they enter into this theological conversation about doctrine and... She, She says, well, when the Messiah comes, he's going to teach us all things, to which Jesus responds, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. So the first person that Jesus revealed himself to as Messiah as he was living on earth was a woman of questionable character. And the first person that Jesus reveals himself to post-resurrection out of the tomb is a woman of questionable character. What's the point? The point is that God's grace is available for all kinds of people. All kinds of people, not just the clean and the morally upright and the religious correct, but all kinds of people. We know from the the crucifixion accounts that this lady here in our text today, Mary Magdalene, was also present with Jesus in the crucifixion and even the burial accounts. She, She went with the group as part of this burial of Jesus. And so she was one of the last at the cross, and now she is the first at the tomb. So who is she? Other than what I've just mentioned, we don't know. We really don't know much about her. And so just think about the the scandal of this moment. If this lady is to go around declaring this event to be true, everyone is going to throw shade at what she is saying. 
She's, in fact, if she goes around saying he's alive, he's alive, he's come out of the grave, she may actually bring discredit to the validity of this event. Now, let's bring this closer to home and then we'll get into our text. Who are you? Who are you? Those who have been forgiven and made new in Christ understand the beauty of grace. We see this in the response of Mary as she falls at Jesus' feet and latches on to him. She knows the depths of which he had redeemed her from. And those of us who are saved also understand the depths from which God has redeemed us. He yanked us out of the clutches of sin. Your past may not include demon possession, but your past includes sin. Your past includes all kind of scandal. And Christ redeems us from those realities. Who are we? This is Paul's point in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he's reminding the church of who they were when God called them. Listen to these verses. 1 Corinthians 1 verses 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. In other words... None of you were really as big of a deal as you think you were. Which is a, a necessary reminder for us, right? Like, we just need to be reminded. This is a grace-saturated reminder. I'm not as big of a deal as I think I am outside of Christ. He goes on and writes to the church at Corinth, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Why? so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, Mary Magdalene, our character for today, along with the Lord Jesus, formerly possessed by demons, set free by Jesus, reminding us that God's grace is available for all kinds of people. And this includes you. And this includes me. And this is good news for us. So since God's grace is for all kinds of people, what do we learn from our story today? One, we learn that Jesus brings comfort to the hurting. Jesus brings comfort to the hurting. The scene at the tomb picks back up with Mary. If you look back at verse 10, the disciples went back to their homes. They come and they see nothing except the linen cloths and the folded head wrap, and they just go back to their homes. Mary comes at some point later, it seems, back to the tomb, and her present condition is absolutely terrible. She's in shambles. Think about the last thought of her Lord. The last thought of her, of her Lord was that, that beaten, broken, dead body that they were transferring from the cross to this gravesite. And in and, and her mind, just like we looked at with John and Peter last week, there's no thought of resurrection. And so she arrives at the tomb. So we, we read here, she, stoop, she, she stands outside the tomb and she looks into the tomb, verse 11, and she looks in and she sees two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the first. So she sees these two angels and doesn't see the body of Jesus. And so they ask her, why are you weeping? And this word weeping in verse 11, there Mary stood weeping. And then they ask her, verse 13, woman, why are you weeping? She's, it's not just like some faint whip, whimp, whimper. This is, she would be wailing loudly. This is, this is a mourn. Like a, a grieving sound. You, and we're familiar with this, those of us who have walked through seasons of death, either personally or with others. When, when the anguish and the bitter sting of death really sets in on us, there's a, there's a gut-wrenching mourn that just comes out of us. This is Mary's state. 
And so motivated by love and devotion, she returns to this tomb. The problem is the grave is empty. And in her mind, her world is over. Caring for his body was going to be for Mary, comforting consolation. And she doesn't even have the privilege to do that. So grief, tears, bewilderment, crushing disappointment, devastation, no hope, joy is gone. Sad is an incredibly understated word. She's hurting deeply. And so she's drawn back to this tomb seeking after Jesus. Her problem was that she had a different Jesus in mind. She wanted to see a body in the tomb. She wanted to see a body in the tomb. And so she strikes up this conversation with these angels. I love how John records it like it just happens. The angels say to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she says, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. You can, you can hear the despondence in her, in her, in her voice, just desperation. And so in this desperation in her mind, what, what was bad has actually now gotten worse. Not only is he dead, but they've taken him. They've taken him. But you also hear a tinge of devotion in her response. Look at, look at what she says here in verse 13. They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Notice what she doesn't refer to. She doesn't say they've taken away his body. She says they've taken away my Lord. And so she's looking for more than, like we know she's looking for more than just a dead person to take care of. She, she sees this, this, this dead body as the Lord. And so she refers to him as my Lord. And her assumption is that someone has taken away this body. For Mary, like what is she looking for? We would use the word closure. Right? She, she's, she's wanting closure. She's showing back up to the graveside where like some of us after a funeral would go after the, after the, the recessional has taken place and, and, and everything is, the internment has happened at the graveside. Everyone has gone away and we just walk back out and maybe lay flowers on the grave or maybe even pull some flowers out of the spray. And we, we want this closure when it comes to death. That's what she's looking for, but she can't, she can't have closure. And so imagine her mental and emotional state in this moment. It's not hard for us to think of what, what could have been going through her mind. One, was I foolish to be so devoted to him? It seems like every promise is null and void at this point. Was he really the one he claimed to be? Maybe a tinge of doubt for her. Maybe a, a question directed at herself. Why didn't I stay at the tomb to make sure no one took him? With the underlying assumption that I failed him. He saved my life from destruction. Now what am I going to do? So then the next scene in the event is the game-changing scene where she's talking with angels, but then Jesus talks with her. So look at verse 14. Having said this, she, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And so she, she, she kind of gets the idea, okay, there's someone else here, as we would. There's a sense that there's someone else present. And so she turns and glances at Jesus and, and is, is not aware of the fact that it's actually Jesus. We're not certain why. Probably a mixture of all the aspects of the moment she's her eyes are filled with tears she's been weeping it's still dark it's early in the day she has no idea of resurrection and so she's supposed to see a Jesus that's laying on a stone not a Jesus that's standing behind her and so at first she doesn't recognize Jesus in fact Jesus looked different than the last time that she saw him right what's her last memory of Jesus her last memory of Jesus was a brutal beaten corpse so that's the last image that she has of Jesus. And so now Jesus is standing there with this resurrected body. And he asked her two questions. The first question is the same one that the angels asked her. Why are you weeping? Maybe a question of mild rebuke here. 
Woman, why are you... And the word woman there is not a derogatory reference to her. It's a, it's a word of respect to her. Woman, why are you weeping? You have no reason to weep is the underlying current of the question. You're shedding tears that aren't necessary right now. And then the, the second question, whom are you seeking? This question of reflection. And Jesus, we've seen this all throughout John's gospel account. As Jesus is engaging in conversations with people, he's just pulling them right along to where he wants them to get, right? He's, he's orchestrating the conversation so that there is a revelatory moment where someone realizes, wait, this truly is the Son of God who is worthy of my life's worship. And so we ask her, whom are you seeking? This question of reflection, which may carry the idea, what kind of Messiah were you actually expecting? She has limited Jesus to a person only, and especially not just, not, not just a person only, but certainly not one who has the power to come back to life. And so there's this post-resurrection appearance here of Jesus in this conversation. And so in the midst of this profound grief, we see profound love. We see Jesus going to one whom he loves who is hurting deeply. Hurting deeply and speaking to her in a way that connects to her heart. And then look at what happens next. Jesus asks her, verse 15, whom are you... Uh, Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. It's just almost a comical statement. Um, Not recognizing Jesus. She probably glanced at Jesus and then went her, took her attention right back to the empty tomb where Jesus is supposed to be. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanite, which means teacher. Jesus calls Mary by name. No mere gardener would know her name. And not just that. It's not just the fact that there's a guy here who's speaking to her who knows her name. No one could say her name the way Jesus said her name. She hears Mary. And she hears the same voice that set her free from the throes of demonic possession. And is now in the throes of grief and anguish bringing her comfort and she immediately recognizes him. It's not a vision that she, she's looking in this conversation and doesn't recognize Jesus. But when she hears the word Mary, she recognizes, wait, you're not there, you're there. And she immediately refers to him as Rabbani, which means, which he, uses, he translates it for us here, teacher, but also carries the idea of my dear Lord. It's not just a teacher in terms of instruction, but one who's worthy of devotion. What's going on here? Well, we've heard this before, right? We've heard this before in John's gospel account. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 3. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he, Jesus, goes before them. The good shepherd goes before them and the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. For they know his voice. When When Mary hears Mary from the mouth of Jesus here in John chapter 20, John chapter 10 is immediately validated for us. Because we see the first post-resurrection appearance of Christ going to this lady whom it makes no sense for him to appear to, calling her by name, and immediately she reckons. She doesn't say, wait, Jesus, is that you? Let me clean my eyes. Let me wait until it breaks day a a little more. Let me, let me step it a little closer. No, just the sound of his voice was enough for her to recognize that this is 
the Lord. Isn't this the way Christ calls all of His own? He calls His own. He calls His own by name. And as His sheep, we hear His name. We know His voice. There's a, there's a reality. He's not standing in front of us or behind us or around us speaking our voice, but we know the voice of the Lord Jesus. And this recognition that Mary experiences is a recognition that we all experience in knowing Christ. He knows our names. And in this moment, we're reminded that Jesus brings comfort to the hurting. This lady's world had fallen apart. In her mind, in her mind, it couldn't get any worse. And Jesus comes in and by speaking a word, Mary, by calling her name, is doing several things, but some of which are showing her that the one she's looking for is not the one she actually needs. She doesn't need a dead Jesus, but she has a living Jesus. And so he knows our names. He knows our names individually, reminding us God's grace is for all kinds of people. So Jesus brings comfort to the hurting. The second thing that we see here in the text is that Jesus brings clarity to the confused. Jesus brings clarity to the confused. Trauma, especially trauma that comes as a result of death, often brings all sorts of confusion. Maybe you've experienced something similar or know others who've experienced something similar. And in these, in seasons that are, that are characterized by intense trauma, probably more than any other time in life, we're prone to ask what question? Why? Why? We ask the why question and such is the nature of life in a fallen world. We're often confused. We're often wondering why events happen, especially those events that have been impactful in a negative way and traumatic for us. And so in the midst of this confusion, Jesus brings clarity, and he does so by revealing himself to Mary. So she first glances at Jesus, remembering who does she think he is? This is a gardener. <laughs> like, Jesus was really patient, but that's a borderline insult. Right? This is a resurrected son of God, and she's just like, hey, gardener, if you've taken him away, show me where he is, and I'll go take care of him. But then he speaks her name. And in the moment he speaks her name, the, the, the confusion is gone. And clarity rushes into the situation and she realizes, wait, he's not dead. He's, he's alive. And so the only thing that, that she could reckon with in her mind was that Jesus is, is standing in front of her. He's not laying on the stone in the tomb. He's actually standing in front of her, reminding us that the resurrection of Christ was a literal physical resurrection. And so look at what Jesus, look at what Jesus does here. She turns and says to him, verse 16 in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. So the, the understanding here, if you fill in some blanks, is as soon as Mary recognizes Jesus, she just turns and falls down before his feet. Probably clings to his feet with the intention that I've lost you once, I'm not going to lose you again. I'm not going to let you go. And so she could have been motivated by fear, worry, anxiety, excitement. Who knows? But the reality was Jesus was there and she wasn't letting him go this time. But she can't hold on to him as if he belonged to her. Her fear of losing him again would soon be replaced by the constant indwelling of the presence of Christ by the person and work of the Holy Spirit in her life. And so she wouldn't have to hold to Christ to actually know his presence. She would be filled with his presence. What was her fear? Her fear was no Jesus. 
Like N-O Jesus, like Jesus is gone, like Jesus is out of the picture, like he is dead and they have stolen him and I'll never see him again, my life is over. You can just imagine the catastrophe syndrome that's going through her mind in the middle of this confusion. But Jesus tells her, no, 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 don't, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me, I have to ascend. And so instead of saying, okay, Mary, we're going to get through this, Jesus actually gives her an assignment. At the end of verse 17, he says, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Take a message to my brothers. I am ascending to the Father. And so in the middle of this confusion, she's immediately given clarity because look at what she does. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. So she goes immediately and and comes out of confusion, operating with clarity, because Christ is not dead, he is alive, and he's given her an assignment. Sounds very Great Commission-ish, doesn't it? We are given an assignment, church. We are given an assignment to take this glorious gospel into all the world, to make disciples of all nations. And so our pattern should be that of Mary. She leaves his presence, quotes, presence with his message. And so while in one moment she's latching on to him, I am not going to let you go. And the next moment she's letting go of him and running back to the disciples with the message that Christ had given her. So Jesus brings comfort to the hurting. Jesus brings clarity to the confused. And then thirdly, Jesus brings acceptance to the outsider. Jesus brings acceptance to the outsider. Notice the message that Jesus tells Mary. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. There are two aspects of what Jesus says here that that help us to think rightly about our relationship with God because of Christ. One, what does Jesus call them in verse 17? Look at it. Go to my brothers and say to them, this is the first direct, re- direct reference to, of Jesus to his followers as brothers. Up to this point, they've been called followers. They've been called disciples. They've been called friends. They've been called servants. They've been called sheep. But now Jesus calls them brothers. And so what Jesus is doing here, through the mouth of Mary, bringing this message back to the disciples who, as we'll see next week, are locked in a room for, out of fear for their lives, is sends this message to them and lets them know you are now in direct relationship to God. This is Galatians 3.26. For in Christ you are all sons of God. And so he refers to them as brothers, but then there's something else here in verse 17. He says, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, my God and your God. Notice what he does there in this message through Mary Magdalene. He refers to God as his father, but also as our father. This is another first, outside of the example prayer that Jesus gives the disciples to show them how to pray. He refers to my God and your God. What is Jesus doing in this first post-resurrection appearance? He's teaching Mary, he's teaching the disciples, and he's teaching us through the scriptures that we are no longer outside of God's family. We are accepted in Christ. We are members. We are sons and daughters in the family of God. We are adopted into God's family. Why? 
Because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection. And it reminds us that God's grace is for all kinds of people. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 8, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are brothers with Christ and sisters. We belong in God's family because of Christ and because of his resurrection. And so when Jesus says this, he's, he's reminding us, we, we, we read this and we have to be reminded that because of Christ, because of the crucifixion and the resurrection, the perfect completed work of Christ on our behalf, we have relationship with God. And there are no second class family members in God's family. Let's not forget what these guys had just done. These guys had all just bailed on Jesus. Right? Had all forsaken him. Peter himself had denied him vehemently. And Jesus is sending through Mary, his mouthpiece, this message, I have not ascended, I'm ascending to the Father. I'm ascending to the Father, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Turn, turn to chapter 1 of John. This is, this is how John's gospel account started. Declaring the majesty and the beauty of Christ and the implication for those who believe. John chapter 1, we'll, we'll pick it up at verse 9. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. That's Jesus, the reference there is to Jesus. He, Jesus, came to his own Jews and his own people did not receive him. Here's verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. When we believe on the Lord Jesus, we become God's child. And when we become God's child, he takes us as his own, redeems us from our sin applies the work of Christ to all the sin debt that we bring to the table and calls us into his own family. Verse 12, he gave the right to become children of God, not because of anything we have inherently within us, but because of Christ. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God's grace is for all kinds of people. We say this fairly often here at Redeemer, and it's worth noting again. Verse 13 reminds us that we become God's children because God wants us to become God's children. You didn't force God to make you His child. Your mom and your daddy didn't force God to make you His child. Your friends, your husband, your wife, however your redemption story sounds, nobody forces God to make Someone a child. Verse 13 is clear. We're born into the family of God, not by blood, not because of who we are from a heritage standpoint, nor the will of the flesh, not because of what we've done, or not because of who we are, nor the will of man, but of God. And so when God saves us, He saves us because He wants to. 
And Mary Magdalene's event there at the tomb of Jesus reminds us that God's grace is for all kinds of people. Do you know this resurrected Lord Jesus? Not just know about him. You can argue the truth and the validity of the resurrection until you're blue in the face and not know Jesus. Do you truly know Jesus? Have you repented and believed on the Lord Jesus? Not just attaining to facts about Christ, but actually knowing Christ. Eternity in hell is going to be populated well by people who know all about Jesus. So do you actually know Jesus? Are you a child of God? What if your argument is, well, yeah, but, I mean, I'd like to, but God's grace is for all kinds of people. Whatever you bring to the table, Christ's death is sufficient to cover. Whatever I bring to the table, the death of Christ, the payment of Christ is sufficient to cover. And so what do I do? Repent and believe. Confess that sin to God. Ask Him to forgive you and confess belief in Him. Well, isn't there like some formula? No! No! Repent and believe. And you become a child of God. He adopts you into His family. And church, isn't it true we need to be reminded of simple gospel truths like this over and over and over? I mean, we, we look at Mary Magdalene, we're like, I mean, I'm, I mean maybe this isn't you, not, this is true for me. I've never been demon-possessed. As far as I know. I, I know he didn't have to cast any out of me to call me into his family. But I've got all kinds of issues from which Christ saved me. And as good as you think you may be, you have all kinds of issues from which Christ saved you. God's grace is for all kinds of people. The religious and the moral upright who are trusting in their own works for eternity and the opposite end of the spectrum who are pursuing everything that the world is offered, everything the world offers for satisfaction. God's grace is for all kinds of people. There's Mary Magdalene at the tomb looking in and the simple sound of her name from the mouth of the Lord Jesus is for her the moment when she realizes he's not dead. He's not dead. He's actually alive. Do you know the Lord this way? Do you know the Lord this way? If you don't know the Lord, we pray that you will today. We pray that you will repent and believe. If you know the Lord and the reality of grace has, becoming, has become normal to you, maybe secondary, ask God to remind you. Ask God to remind you of the depth and the beauty of grace. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, I pray. Father, if somebody here doesn't know you, Lord, in your grace, Lord, you would call them into your family. <laughs> you would adopt them as your own. They would believe on the Lord Jesus and you would give them the right to become a child of God. And Father, that could be the person who is the most religious in the room. It could be the po person who is most irreligious in the room. 
It could be the most morally upright person in the room. It could be the most wretched person in the room. Thank you, Father, that your grace is for all kinds of people. Lord, as your church, as your sons and daughters, we confess that we think too lightly and too little of grace. Lord, thank you for this reminder from the story of Mary Magdalene standing there at the tomb and hearing the voice of the Lord Jesus and seeing the one whom had saved her from the world, had saved her from herself. And may we, Father, live with this reality that your grace is for all kinds of people. We pray it in Jesus' good name. Amen.